In the past, if students came to the language lab and had a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder, nothing like that was part of the rest of their life. As soon as they walk out of class, they didn't start using a tape recorder. Yeah. But now, as soon as students walk out of class, they start using all sorts of mobile apps and networking possibilities. As the students become more and more directed there, we have some responsibility, or at least it's in our interest, to try to keep up. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. I'm Dan Gable, Technology Manager for the LRC. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language, Dick Feldman is Director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University and has been so for 19 years. Dick is retiring in a couple of months, so in this episode of Speaking of Language, we discuss some bigger picture ideas, such as the importance of having a unit dedicated to technology support in language learning. We talk about teachers' attitudes towards technology and what the future might look like for language teaching at Cornell. So Dick, playing devil's advocate, I wonder, why does language teaching have a whole unit devoted to technology support? Why don't we also have a history resource center? or an economics resource center? Well, you're obviously not the only one to wonder that. Uh, administrations have certainly wondered that. Uh, for example, at uh, Brown University, they cut their language center, told uh, language teachers to go to general uh, college uh, technology support uh, uh, services. And uh, five or six years later, they went back to the language center. Hmm. Um, and I think the... There, there, there are two main uh, reasons as I see it. Uh, first of all, in learning language, we're talking about working with a natural, universal human function. Right. That of using language, and pr we use language primarily for social purposes. That's what it's about. And so you have to get people together and to do interaction. That is a, 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 at the essence of language teaching. That's not at the essence of economics or history. You can go sit in the library by yourself and be very productive as an economist or historian. You can learn from other people by reading. You can watch a lecture in a non-interactive way. But that is not enough. That isn't the way language teaching needs to happen. There's this social turn that is at the essence of language teaching. And so we need ways to facilitate that, to make that happen. The, the other thing is we're presenting one other culture, and we're trying to do it very artificially in uh, historical terms, because after all, his, in historical terms, people learned another language by contact with those people, by normal uh, uh, cultural uh, contact and interaction. Yes. So we're trying to do it in a white-walled classroom. And so we need ways to bring that, that uh, other culture, make it salient to the students so they see the different uh, uh, parts of it that, that, that are striking to them and comment on those other aspects that, that were surprising and therefore make relevant the different ways of speaking and thinking of that other culture. So the representation of the culture in the classroom, I think, is a main part of why historically 
we've used a, 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 a language. Uh, now, it's true that the first language labs in the 40s were more about uh, uh, habit practice, um, which doesn't really correspond to either of those drives. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess it'd be my contention that as we left the audiolingual method, except for these other two uh, uh, reasons for a language center as a as a place for social interaction and and uh, means for uh, cultural presentation, um, I think the language centers and technology in them would have would have faded out uh, in the in the past. So for technology itself, I think it's it's primarily the presentation of culture and interaction attempts to simulate the kind of interaction that you would have um, if, if, if you were learning in, in immersion it is really why we need a language center for a center like this for languages and sure. not so much for other fields. Right. Well, and the, the, the technologies at play here, obviously, um, for social interaction, I mean, the, the web is uh, a giant... Uh, format that allows students to, you know, reach out and, um, and, and get a taste of other cultures. But certainly here on site, I would think uh, one of the most important areas is our audio and our video and our, our distance learning and um, being able to interact uh, with quality. Would mm -hmm. you say that's, then that's certainly evolved over the years? Oh, that, well, that's for sure. I don't know how many of you remember what YouTube looked like when it first started out. I do. It was a, a very, very rough of a type that, uh, um, well, we used to be, you could say, well, it was like taking a video with your smartphone. But, of course, now right. videos with smartphone uh, quality is quite excellent. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, sh sure, the uh, technology in terms of the vividness and precision and depth of what tech of the cultural presentations that that technology can enable at a at a distance basically because here we are we aren't in Romania or Spain right. um, trying to present that culture that's that's been enormously uh, uh, improved over the years but of course the um, uh, expectations of the students have have changed a lot too sure it used to be I think at that time that there was an understanding that students would accept low quality in exchange for authenticity and I'm not sure there's that tolerance anymore as the expected and possible quality has uh, uh, improved so much just oh, yeah. in the last uh, really five five to ten years so. oh yeah I mean even in just basic uh, video conferencing just a uh, face-to-face -face, we've got teachers yeah. who come and and have an entire class where students are um, speaking with language partners in other countries uh, right. our German we have a couple German classes that do that um, and now Skype and that sort of technology has grown so much uh, you know the, the expectations for quality is pretty high yeah um, and then we're we're required to meet those expectations. Obviously, uh, you know we we have to make sure that we've got quality microphones and headphones, and um, the the reproduction has to be basically as perfect as possible because they're focused on detail of sound. I mean, what they're mm -hmm. listening for and mm -hmm. what they're saying and how they're being heard and uh, all that. Yes, um, uh, as you know, we've taken special measures to get the 
sound quality of our video conference work as high as possible because uh, a, a lot of those technologies that were made for boardrooms where you everybody was all speaking the same language and you just had to kind of understand what people are saying. That's very different when you uh, are trying to get used to hearing sounds that you've never heard before right. coming from a, from a teacher speaker. And um, uh, uh, if the sound isn't accurate and the audio isn't high quality, you're just not going to hear those uh, uh, things like uh, um, aspirated voiced consonants. I mean, wh why do you think the word Buddha has an H there? Mm. We don't pronounce it in English, but that's an aspirated voiced consonant that doesn't exist in English. Right. But it's a essential part of uh, a lot of South Asian languages. So he, students have to be able to hear that accurately and fully. And, and so quality in those areas is, is really important if you're going to do the distance kind of thing. The, and the distance uh, work is really a new, whole new thread in, yeah. in technology and language teaching. Sure. Uh, there's no ex really good reason why, and of course that is going on in all sorts of other fields. In, in some ways, language teachers have been slow to adopt it because I, I think for a reasonable uh, feeling that the uh, interaction with the teacher needs to be very, very direct and uh, immediate. And for a long time, the uh, uh, technology actually wasn't adequate to conducting a language class. And the jury's still out on uh, many to many kind of classrooms where the students are dispersed and not all in one place and are represented in a little mini window. Right. Uh, people are doing that, but it requires a really different approach Yeah. Uh, from, from the uh, classroom-based video conference that we mostly are, have been doing here. Yeah. We, we certainly have our uh, regulars who are, are very into the distance classes, and we have our, uh, our shared courses initiative. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and we have a nice group, I think, of, of teachers who, um, you know, come around and, and want to work on projects and... Um, you know, we, we kind of uh, our cast of regulars that we, we work with. Um, sometimes I wonder if we, we couldn't uh, see more uh, language professors using technology. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I know there's a lot of them, a lot of them out there, and, uh, and we certainly don't get everybody. And uh, why, why don't more language teachers use technology? Or, or, or is that just me? Am I not getting the right uh, idea here? No, I think it is an issue, and I think it's an important one that's embedded in the whole situation of language teaching in the country to some extent and in uh, places like Cornell uh, particularly. First of all, the fact is those are not professors. Students will talk about their language professor, but there is no language professor at Cornell. Right. They're all non-tenure-track faculty. Right. And there is no graduate field of language teaching at Cornell, even though there is a very large and very active research and specialty field of language teaching around the country and world, there is no uh, field or research in it going on at Cornell. And, you know, this starts with the history of language teaching being really a part of literature and then only growing into its own field with its own uh, uh, theory and research uh, to, 
to some extent coming out of uh, uh, linguistics in the uh, uh, starting in the 50s and 60s, and uh, I think pretty much uh, expanding since then. But the result has been that uh, traditional places like Cornell do not have a, a, a field for language teaching. That's a, a major reason why the Department of Modern Languages that existed for four years in the late 90s was eventually dissolved because it had no graduate field of its own. And the college was not about to create a new graduate field for it, just out of traditionalism, uh, really, and uh, money, probably, mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. So the language departments, well, there is no language department. There are no language majors. Right. There are only literature uh, departments and literature majors. Um, and the language teaching programs are embedded within those departments and have a kind of um, uh, lower class status within those departments. And the uh, literature professors try to say that they're shepherding them benignly and various things, but it's not the same. The... Uh, uh, salary and potential creativity of people in subsidiary positions is restricted. They can't uh, 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 decide, essentially, they can't decide themselves what to teach. The vaunted academic freedom of university professors does, in fact, not extend to uh, non-tenure-track lecturers. Uh -huh. And that makes a profound difference. Yeah, I'd imagine. One uh, um, lecturer was told in the middle of the year that she had to stop using the textbook she had chosen. And that squelched a whole um, a thread of experimentation in that field. So that's just the way things are in, pl in a place like Cornell. And it's, in fact, similar to our peers. Uh, uh, Columbia, Harvard, Yale, Brown have very similar situations. They don't have a field of language teaching. Their language teachers are uh, uh, second-class uh, appointments, and they have uh, limited academic freedom. And th the reason I'm going through all this in response to your question is that coming around here and trying out new technologies is a move towards experimentation, towards innovation, towards uh, going in new directions with your language program. And the language teachers essentially, for the most part, don't feel they have the right to do that. They're enclosed in a system that's, cons that's conservative, that, that doesn't uh, uh, um, uh, favor uh, and or really support change. And so many of those people don't see the point of finding out what the latest thing we're uh, 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 supporting that can make it a new way for them to um, uh, scaffold video in their class, for example, or a new way for students to have uh, out-of-class uh, speaking and listening practice. They don't really see the point of doing that because it would require changes in their curriculum, changes in their, their colleagues' curriculum that they, in fact, are not empowered to make. So yeah, that's just the way it is. being a problem, sure. It is. And, you know, one of the things I, as language center director, have tried to do is to encourage a feeling of 
solidarity and uh, greater, through solidarity, a feeling of greater power and freedom to do, to experiment. And, you know, this, it's, there, there are a lot of forces working against that drive, but it's something I've tried to do anyway, and I hope the uh, uh, next Language Center director will continue with that work. And it has worked in, in some cases. Yeah. Certainly some people sure. feel because uh, of their position, their situation, uh, their, their longer uh, establishment of their work, some people uh, feel um, empowered to do experimentation and to try things. And uh, sometimes that comes from their colleagues here at Cornell and sometimes from their colleagues around the country as they ex- uh, go to conferences and see what's happening in other places. So sure. a, a lot of people look there as opposed to the power within their department for their real colleagues and for their support and spurring on to creativity and innovation. Right. Yeah, interesting. And you uh, you mentioned student expectations uh, earlier and how that um, may be impacted by the just rapidly changing technology. I mean, I would think that would be a, a catalyst for a teacher to want to do more um, and a reason for them to come and talk to us and, and, and think about what they could be doing that a student might, you know, be more likely to expect from a course or, um, you know, they may realize how how uh, much things have changed in terms of audio video and delivering that via the web. And, um, you know, they've seen our web audio lab and they've, uh, you know, they've used our, our online workbooks and our, our various web tools. Um, and um, I would think there would be maybe a little bit of pressure there from students to teachers. I don't know how much communication actually happens. Right. That's kind of the thing, isn't it? How, how, how much are teachers even aware of the technology lives of students? Right. Um, I know I'm pretty far behind understanding how students uh, really use te- technology. I try to figure it out and talk to people. Yeah. I have my own children. Sure. Um, but uh, often uh, uh, teachers are not that uh, 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 closely connected with uh, uh, students and their lives. And uh, it's, a, it's an important uh, area. You know, in the past... If students came to the language lab and had a reel-to-reel tape recorder and they used that, nothing like that was part of the rest of their life. Yeah, right, right. They, they, they didn't do, as soon as they walk out of class, they didn't start using a tape recorder. Yeah. But now, as soon as students walk out of class, they start using all sorts of mobile apps and, 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 and social uh, networking possibilities and as the students become, as you say, as the students become more and more directed there um, through their through their whole lives, and we're working on the edges of that, we have some responsibility, or at least it's in our interest, to try to keep up. That's right. And, you know, if we can get a little bit even ahead of the curve there and yeah. catch something that the students yeah. are just being excited about. That's right. And uh, uh, harness that in our uh, language teaching interests. I think it it, it can be very powerful. You, you know, it's an old uh, idea, but the five even the five hours you students have in class is not nearly enough to learn get going really learning a language. We have to uh, we make the students do homework, of course, but 
getting the students to use the language in other in ways that fit into their lives is is a recipe for success in language and climbing on top of that and figuring out how students would would do that how you could get them interested it's with the pace of change that's going on now i I think that's a whole new kind of need in language teaching that's why we need you know people like you need and as you are in touch with that uh student experience because you know technology people can get stuck in their ways and out of touch with modern things too yeah for sure uh you know if you just spend your time uh uh, fiddling with uh, network devices and stuff. That's right. Oh, yeah, that could easily happen. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you know, there's all sorts of central... You know, we always talk here just, uh, you know, day-to-day about some of these centralized systems that um, are sort of pushed on us by, you know, Cornell IT. That's uh-huh. uh, understandably, but it's not as exciting as uh, some of the other topics we could talk about as far as helping teachers. Yeah, using most of that stuff is very conservative and very dorky from a student <laughs> point of view. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, some of it uh, uh, amazingly so. Yeah. I remember not so long ago I was at a training for some administrative app, and they said, okay, then you go to this screen. Now... You see that number there? You need to write that number down on a piece of paper because you're going to need that in the next screen. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's no good. <laughs> so, you know, as opposed to, I, I just spoke with a great conversation with uh, Mi Jong Song. We recorded a podcast the other day and um, we talked about her use of SoundCloud and uh, podcasting technology to deliver audio to her students. And her idea is that she wanted the students to be walking to class. And, you know, they, they leave class and they put in their headphones as they normally do, and they use their phone um, to get a little bit of extra Korean practice. And uh, and she said she didn't even care if they were very carefully focused on every little bit. Uh, you know, she even referred to brainwashing. She just wants uh-huh. a little bit, uh-huh. a little bit to slip through. You know, when they least expect it, because it's what they're used to and it's what they might get excited about. And um, and and that works for for her in her class. Yes, exactly. Stealing some of the students' time, uh, as I said, because it because it appeals to them, because it fits into their lifestyle. Right. I've asked uh, Mi Jong to talk about that project at our final workshop. Oh, good. I'm asking a collection of people who've done projects over the last three or four years that have interest everybody to talk about those, and that's uh, one of the ones I've. Uh, uh, and she's she's agreed to do that, so Excellent. it'll be interesting to hear how that's worked. Uh, she's very good at staying in touch with her students, pulling them about their interests yeah, and reaction yeah, to things. Yeah, um, and that's that's made her. I think that has given her uh, confidence in proceeding with new ideas. Yeah. Because of her connection to her, her students mm-hmm. and understanding of their how, how their technology interests work so that she can uh, uh, use some of that for her own language teaching uh, yeah. uh, goals, as you that's, say. That's great. And she's certainly someone willing uh, to experiment. And, um, you know, and you, when you talk about experimentation um, or, you know, like exploring, new, a teacher might be willing to explore new technologies um, you know, I think it brings up this idea of like which comes first, technology or pedagogy, and a teacher maybe being less likely to say, um, "Oh, I'm going to use this technology to facilitate some sort of interaction or um, or create an assignment for class," versus here's a pedagogical issue that I want to address. 
how can I address it? And then to be able to speak to somebody about what technology might be available to address that particular issue. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like there's a balance on my end. of like I want to explore everything. I'm interested very much, as you know, in like virtual reality. I think mm-hmm. there's a, a real future there in all learning and language learning. And you talk about um, interaction and social interaction. I mean, VR is is really the next big thing for that. I think. Um, so what I mean, what do you? I don't know if you have anything about to think about to say about that. This idea of um, of getting teachers to to experiment with something that that is just kind of out of the blue, something brand new. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as I've said already, it depends first on their feeling empowered to do experimentation, yeah. having sure. flexibility in their curriculum, having the support of their um, uh, colleagues and the power uh, powers in their department. That uh, kind of has to be there. But there are uh, people who who feel feel they do have that, um, and. You know, some teachers scoff at, well, you're just grabbing onto the latest technology for technology's sake. Right. This needs to come out of the pedagogical goals of your program. And, you know, there's something to that. You can imagine somebody, but mostly those bad cases are bad uses of that technology if they're, if they can be properly accused of technology for technology's sake. Because our our goals in language teaching are, are are pretty broad, as as I've outlined uh, earlier here, uh, yeah. about increasing social interaction and con- meaningful contact with the language and any way that that does that. But I think standing still has a danger, certainly of itself, as the students, uh, you know, the language teaching theory changes, the teachers' courses change. But the students change, too, uh, as, as we've discussed. They get used to using technology in certain ways. And, you know, if a student looks at something that a teacher is asking them to do and says, well, this is stupid, yeah, right. you know, and this is badly done, or it's low quality, or, you know, they'll do it, but they won't have the kind of excitement that you want to, that you'd like to have in a student, that you hope to harness to really involve their, their, their thinking and, 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 and emotions and intellectual engagement with the language. So yeah. keeping up with the students is 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 an important part of it. And um, it's something where we, we, we just do need uh, uh, student partners for, for sure. Mm-hmm. So Dick, you, you know, you we are kind of at a, a bit of a crossroads here at the Language Center. So this is going to be our last uh, podcast that we record with you as director. This is uh, probably, I think this will be the last podcast of our uh, semester. And, um, and you'll be retiring in, um, in, uh, at the end of June. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been, how long have you been director of the Language Center? Since 99. So right. that's uh, 19 years. 19 years. We've been working together for 18 of those years, uh-huh. which is pretty amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I'm very interested in what you think about the future of language learning here. Uh, how do you guess things are going to change? Well, yes. Um, I've certainly thought about that some. I've uh, talked some with the uh, couple of candidates who might be the new, uh, you know, who might be my successor here. Right. Um, and, of course, I have contact with uh, language center people and language uh, teachers at uh, other 
other institutions similar to ours, and our own teachers have ideas about the way things should go. Um, I think the dominant force now is uh, the oft-used word uh, globalization. Uh, partly it's because of technology, but partly it's just a force that has uh, uh, taken up in the world because of the uh, wonderful economic and social development in so many countries have made them so much more partners in in uh, uh, trade and, and interaction. And the world is just so much more uh, open and exposed to many different uh, uh, languages. I think the idea that has been very substantially proven that your life is medically better if you have a second language. Mm. You people who have a second language are more likely to delay the onset of dementia in old age. Wow. That's been really quite conclusively proven. Mm. And the, um, the, uh, uh, improved, um, learning through the K-12 years of people in dual immersion programs hmm. has also been proved. Whether uh -huh. they started as a, as a, a second language, in a second language home, or if they started in an, in an English uh, home environment, the language learning is a, is a force for positive intellectual and medical well-being. And I think that is coming out more and more and, is going to be um, more widely recognized uh, in the world and at institutions uh, like this. So the combination of globalization with just the contact with many other countries and the need for um, uh, uh, interaction among those places, as well as this recognition of the benefits of, uh, of uh, language learning, I think are, are the I think are the two most important uh, uh, forces, and technology comes uh, along with that. Um, on the other side, there are the fact that um, when I tell students this, uh, as I have been in our FLAC sections when we did have some discussion, that universities are institutionally very conservative organizations. Mm -hmm. You know, from the fact that they have lousy returns on their endowment to the fact that they just run things in different uh, 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 um, units very separately and very independently from each other to the fact that they are types of organizations that are very top-down and rarely consult uh, uh, people doing the work about how the work should be structured. So the conservatism and... Uh, poor organization of universities is a problem against the increased uh, uh, attention to language learning, even though the surrounding society is asking for it. So I think it depends on uh, leadership, frankly. The, sure. the greatest um, uh, movement I saw in my time here at the Language Center re representing and working for language teaching and learning at Cornell was the two years that we had this Language Education Council. Oh. This was an organization uh, at the university where, headed by the Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education, where there were representatives from all the colleges 
and all the language teaching departments come together to talk about access to and innovation in language teaching. And it was that group that spawned our FLAC and Jumpstart courses, which right. have been widely seen as uh, in, in, uh, effective and successful innovation sure. in language teaching. So I think if that structure can be restarted, and I have some reason to think that it may be, even though it goes against the many things that I've already talked about, the embedded nature of the uh, uh, language languages and the isolation of the different units, of course. So that's where I feel the balance is. If we can get some leadership and some uh, uh, collaboration among the different parts of the university and some also some local in terms of the language center um, uh, uh, effective representation of, of some of the ideas I've talked about. Maybe the next language center director can do it better than I can. I hope so. Mm. So, I, and compared to our peer institutions, we're ahead in some ways and behind in others. Um, so I would say I'm cautiously optimistic that uh, uh, there will be further innovation uh, in language teaching because if you aren't changing, as you know, you're falling behind. Right. And I think that's kind of the bottom line uh, for for my prognostication of the of, yeah. of, of the situation. That's a that's a good tagline, I think, uh, to uh, to end the podcast. In fact, right. Um, well, Dick, thank you so much. Um, well, thanks for for talking to me today. But uh, I just want to say it's been really great doing these podcasts with you. It's I've learned so much, and uh, it's just been a really wonderful way to for us to have some sort of focused, mm -hmm. uh, interesting discussions that I think um, you know obviously relate to our day to day. And um, it's been a pleasure and an honor. And so, thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure, certainly over the years, uh, uh, working closely with you, Dan, and uh, I look forward to uh, continuing a friendship and seeing your career go along here uh, at the center later. Thanks, Dick. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Sam Lupwitz and Dan Gable. Recorded by Sam Lupwitz. Original music by Sam Lupwitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. <laughs>